we are nearing the final phase of the power descent we were hovering and now we are approaching the moon surface we have achieved soft landing on the moon india is on the moon this success belongs to all of humanity india the fourth country to reach the surface of the moon. Russia, or the USSR as it was then, was the first Lunar 2 deliberately crashed into the moon in 1959. America's Apollo 11, the first ever manned mission, landed in 1969. Those images of Neil Armstrong descending onto the surface beamed around the world. And China was relatively late to the space race, landing a lunar rover in 2013. And India has gone where no one else has gone before. India landed on the south pole of the moon, and experts believe there could be ice, mineral deposits, valuable elements there. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, glory on the world stage, national pride, scientific advancement. What is India's moon mission all about? It was an elite club that people didn't want India to join. And now, because of what India has achieved, now India has a seat on the high table. This is Gaurav Sharma, a journalist with RNZ's Asian News Unit. He covers the Indian and South Asian communities. Later on, he's going to tell us more about the Indian space program and how a New Zealand company fits in. But first, Nick Rattenberry is a senior lecturer in physics at the University of Auckland. He's a specialist in astrophysics, astronomy, and the search for planets. He tells me about the Chandrayaan-3 mission. So the uh, Chandrayaan-3 mission comprised uh, a vehicle to get a lander to the moon. So there's a lander which is about the size of, a, of an SUV that landed on, soft landed on the moon, as opposed to uh, hard landed or otherwise crashed. So it gently touched down and near the uh, lunar south pole. And on the lander is a number of experiments, including a little rover. So the lander landed softly, let down a ramp, and a little rover, little 26-kilogram uh, robotic car with its own experiments descended and is, is now on the surface of the moon. So is this all like remote controlled from somewhere, is it? That's right. So there's nobody present on the surface of the moon at the moment. Uh, it's all being remotely controlled from operators on Earth. And so this is uh, this is one of those um, exciting developments with uh, technology over the decades is the ability to design robotic systems which are able to, um, in, in some respect, respond to uh, situations without the need of a human interface. So what's the point of this mission? Why is it so important to get to the South Pole of the Moon? The South Pole of the Moon has been a, a region of intense observation and analysis for, for quite some decades. And that is because for a long time, people have suspected that there might be water ice or water in some form on the surface of the moon. We'll get to the reason why water is important, but in the south polar regions of the moon, there appears to be a larger concentration of water ice on the surface. And what could that water ice be used for? That water is important for a, a number of reasons. Uh, there is a, a worldwide interest or push towards returning humans to the surface of the moon for exploration purposes, and scientific purposes, and water is necessary for sustaining human life. But you need to have water. Now, you have two choices. You can either bring the water with you or you can find it at the place where you're going. 
Water is heavy and it takes up space. And so if you have to pack your all the water that you need for your space mission, that means you need to have the room in your rocket and the rocket has to be bigger because it's carrying more weight. That adds to the expense. It also adds to the complexity of the mission. It'll be much better if you knew that there was going to be this heavy, extremely vital, valuable resource at the place that you were going. And this is why the discovery and the confirmation of water ice in regions like the lunar surface or indeed on Mars would be extremely vital, important for crewed missions to those surfaces. Without water, of course, we die in a very, very quick time, but we can also use water for other purposes, including making rocket fuel. So water is a fantastic uh, vital resource for sustaining crude human activities on the surface of these remote worlds. At the same time as you have these deeply shadowed, permanently in darkness craters in which you can find water ice more or less conveniently towards the surface, there are also regions of the lunar south pole which are in permanent daytime. This is extremely important because with sunlight, you can generate power using solar panels. Without sunlight, without generating power, you need to have uh, some other way of creating power. Solar panels are a, a convenient, more or less known technology. They, uh, they operate well and they are the mainstay of many uh, long-term space missions. However, without sunlight, they don't work very well, they don't work at all. So you need to have sunlight and you would prefer to have the sun on as much as possible to generate power, because otherwise you'd be relying upon storing that energy somewhere. And that's usually a battery. And batteries are great when they work, but of course, terrible when they fail. So looking for a region on the surface of a world, you want to have two things. You'd like to have um, a source of power, and you'd also like to have a source of water. And the lunar southern polar regions has both in close proximity. You have regions which are uh, almost in permanent sunlight, and you have regions which are almost in permanent darkness. And together, you have an opportunity to generate power using solar panels in the permanently sunlit areas. And you have close access to a reservoir of water, which you can harvest and use to sustain life in that area. So the, the first time we ever had people on the moon, you know, 1969. Whereabouts on the moon did they land? They landed more in the equatorial region, so more in the, the middle part of the moon, areas which are um, a, a lot different to the southern polar regions. Mm. And they were there not with necessarily the view to finding resources for extraction, but they were there because it's the surface of the moon and it was uh, in, the, in the middle of the space race. And there was a lot of desire to be uh, the first nation to land uh, safely humans on the surface of the moon. Now the ambitions have, have shifted. Now the ambitions are towards exploring further afield. The ambitions include taking people for the first time to the surface of Mars. And in order to do that safely and to return your humans back, you need to have a plan for sustaining them for long periods of time on that surface. And as a part of that, you need to explore the options for things like mining resources, in the regions where you land. This is where the current exploration and analysis of materials near the southern lunar pole comes in. It's a staging post, if you like. You go there and you set up a base of operations where you can extract resources from the lunar surface, 
sustain your human activities on that surface for extended periods of time. And that teaches you how you might be able to do the same thing on a more remote planet uh, such as uh, Mars. On that, where does this kind of fit into the whole current space race? Like, So the aim is to see if we can sustain life on other planets. Yeah, that's right. So the, the space race is uh, heating up, if you like, I suppose. the It is extraordinarily difficult to sustain human life in space. It's extraordinarily difficult to sustain human life on uh, a very hostile environment like the moon or Mars. And so to demonstrate your capability in doing that has great prestige, uh, demonstrates that you're operating at the top of a game of extraordinarily difficult technical challenge. And a number of nations are, are keen to demonstrate their uh, technological supremacy in this regard. So the Russians had a lunar polar lander, uh, unfortunately, crash uh, just prior to the Chandrayaan-3 success, for instance. So the Russians are very keen. Russia's first moon mission in nearly half a century has ended in disaster. The Luna 25 probe span out of control and crashed into the moon. Russia was racing to land on the lunar south pole before a rival Indian mission. China has demonstrated soft landing on the moon as well. China has made history successfully landing on the unexplored far side of the moon. The Chang'e 4 probe touched down on the largest, deepest and oldest crater on the moon's surface. India also had another couple of attempts before their successful landing. Um, That's right. So the, um, the, the Chandrayaan-1 was a, uh, a first mission in the series, and they sent Chandrayaan-1 to the moon, and it performed preliminary observations of uh, the, the southern lunar pole. It had a little impactor, which was designed to hard crash onto the moon and eject a plume of material which could be seen and analyzed. Chandrayaan-1 was launched in 2008 with an orbiter. This mission discovered the presence of water on the moon. Chandrayaan-2 was intended to be a lander, like Chandrayaan-3, but unfortunately it crashed uh, owing to a software glitch. Chandrayaan-2 was launched in 2019 with an orbiter, lander and a rover. The orbiter was deployed successfully, but the lander with rover inside crashed on the moon. But uh, third time uh, Chandrayaan-3, rather, I don't want to say third time's a charm, <laughs> but Chandrayaan-3 was the successful mission which managed to soft land on the moon and deploy its little rover. Right, and then India's role in the space race as a whole, have they been a big player or are they just kind of starting to get into that league now? Well, they've had space operations for quite some time. Uh, they have their own rockets which they launch and they perform space missions and they're clearly capable of of operating uh, space missions at the, the highest level. Some commentators have described the Indian space program as nascent and fledgling, but Gaurav Sharma says that's not the case. And India has managed to achieve on the basis of high science, low cost. Indian space program is not new, it's not nascent. It has been in place since 1960s. India got its independent from independence from Britishers in 1947, and straight away the you know the government at that time in 1950s realized that we are a poor country, and we need to go to space to initiate all the development programs. So the race when everyone talks about the space race between U.S. and U.S.S.R., but India had its own race. So the Indian Space Agency was formed in 1962. ISRO, as we know today, was formed in 1969. ISRO, that's the Indian Space Research Organization. India had its first satellite, which was called Aryabhat, in space in 1975. And we are in 2023. 
in these so many years, India has launched almost 90 satellites. So it's not nascent. I mean, compared to, you know, the big bucks that have been spent over in the States and, you know, in the USSR, Russia. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So as we say, so when uh, it was in, started in 1960s, India used this phrase, high science, low cost. And I'll just give you some figures, you know. The successful lunar mission that India achieved, the total cost of that entire mission uh, is $75 million, and I'm talking about U.S. dollars. So U.S. dollars, $75 million. And if you look at few space-related Hollywood movies like Gravity, the budget was $100 million. Interstellar, the budget was around $165-$170 million. Wow. So those movies are costing more than double, uh, two, two and a half times of what India uh, spent to put a satellite on the moon. Crazy. It's crazy. But, I mean, there were some stories about some of the technology being quite, you know, basic. It was not really basic. What happened was in 1960s, if you look at geopolitics, what was happening around the world, the this this is a very, you know, secretive and a very elite club of, you know, space technology, nuclear science, etc. So those powers who had that technology, they didn't want anyone to join this club. It was happening in 1960. Now everyone wants to collaborate with India. It's a different ball game altogether. But in 60s and 70s, nobody was actually helping India develop anything related to space. So we had no option. Either we would have given up our space dreams or India had to innovate. People, your listeners can Google. There are pictures where we didn't have trucks to, you know, uh, transport a satellite. So people were transporting rocket launchers on a cycle. Uh, I think on a bullock cart as well, some satellites were transferred because it was such a basic nascent technology. But uh, it was because it was a poor country and we had to make do and we have to spend within our means. So it, it was a humble beginning. It's not only what we are talking about today, about the lunar landing. In 2014, India, not many people might know here that India launched a Mars mission. It was called Mangalyan, and it actually was installed in the Martian orbit. India became the first in the world to successfully reach Mars's orbit on its first attempt. To sum it up, uh, it was an elite club that people didn't want India to join. And now, because of what India has achieved, now India has a seat on the high table. So, like, for example, your listeners might know NASA has a program called Artemis that is about moon to Mars. NASA's next chapter of lunar exploration called Artemis has the task of not just going to the moon to create a long-term human presence on and around it, but also to prepare for ever more complex human missions to Mars. Now, India has joined that table. Now, India has a seat on the table. And now, India is a part of all the human uh, exploration that is going to happen in space. And what does this do for the psyche of, you know, Indians? Oh, and, you you can see the pride in my voice. <laughs> I, as an Indian, it's such a great achievement, you know, because lots of people in the West feel that India is still a country of snake charmers and elephants. And suddenly, when they're like, you know, lots of your listeners will be surprised that India reached Mars in 2014. It's it's a great sense of pride, and all our social media channels and everything is filled with that. And and Indian psyche is very different. So it's not arrogance; it's like humility. Yeah, what's the reaction been like um, in India? It has been a huge, massive celebration.
Have you talked to anyone here in the Indian community about us? Oh yeah, yeah, everyone, everyone, all the associations, all the community leaders, even common people, even dairy owners, everyone knows about that India has uh, d- uh, done the soft landing in moon. I have a four-year-old toddler. Nobody told her, but the, when the moon landed, she went and picked up the tricolor and started and running all around the house. So even four-year-olds are affected by it, you know. So I'm yet to find anyone. I mean, uh, people keep saying. Uh, there was a old bbc clip where a bbc commentator is saying oh you are still poor and if you are poor you should invest in your health and education why are you exploring moon india a country that lacks a lot of infrastructure a company that a country that has extreme poverty i think more than 700 million indians don't have access to a toilet um Really? Should they really be spending this sort of money on a space program? But nobody cares about that. I think everything can run side by side. We can improve our health and education as well as land on moon. Coming back to that New Zealand link, there's also uh, you know Aotearoa New Zealand link to this mission as yes. well. There's been a uh, company based in Auckland yes. that's helped out. Tell me about that. Oh yeah, yeah, that company is great actually. As technology gets smarter. We need to support it with connectivity that is faster, more precise, more stable, and more reliable. And that's where Raycon comes in. We are a truly global organization with over 1,000 employees. We have significant operations in UK, France, and India, but our headquarters are right here in New Zealand. They build like um, uh, space oscillators. So they are, what they say is high reliability space oscillators, and I'll break it down. So high reliability will come to that, but space oscillators means they help uh, uh, reference your atomic clocks on the satellites, which help in navigation, in setting up the timing in satellites and everything. Atomic clock. Yes. So see, for example, mm. laymanishly, let's talk laymanish. So like two satellites, right? They need to communicate. So the time must synchronize so that they know, you know, this message is coming at that particular time, right? So that atomic clock is very important. Now, when we go up high in space, you have radiation. You have extreme variation in temperature. So oscillators normally are not able to withstand that high variation. But Raccoon makes that's why they say high reliability. High reliability means that the frequency of those oscillators are reliable even at such huge temperature variation. If if it was not there, I don't know whether satellite will be able to land or even launch. So Raccoon actually played a huge part in this, uh, and they have realized this that they want to be in India even more. So just recently, I think uh, in June this year, they opened a new manufacturing facility in India. They have spent like fifteen million dollars, New Zealand dollars, uh, setting up that facility, and they tell us that their plan is to invest fifty-five million more. They have a total work strength of thousand people. Out of that, half of the workforce is in India. Five hundred. Really? Yeah, hmm. half of them are work in India. How many are here? Three fifty. Nick Rattenbury says India's moon landing has brought back all the feels of the space race during the Cold War. I'm excited about the opportunities which this offers for scientific advancement. Looking forward, I think that human exploration on the surface of the moon can offer a great deal in terms of the scientific advancement. I think that human exploration on the surface of Mars similarly offers great opportunities for understanding um, that world, plus also our own planet Earth and how it has developed life and the uh, the possibilities for other worlds. Such as Mars to to be suitable places for life to take hold. That sort of thing excites me. Where do you think we might see life on Mars? 
<laughs> I would not be surprised if there was uh, discovered precursor materials for uh, life on Mars. And I have colleagues who are deeply into discovering these uh, these evidences of, for, for previous life forms on the surface of Mars and would not be surprised at all. Well, when? Well, I guess uh, if we manage to send the astrobiologists, the geologists, and the uh, early life specialists to the right place on Mars, I think that, yes, there will be a, a discovery which would be fantastic and extraordinary. I think this is when I would not want to be a prophet in this business. It's <laughs> space is hard, it's expensive, and it uh, takes longer than you think. Obviously, we want to know what's happening next because now <laughs> we are on the moon. So there are two things lined up. First is uh, exploring the solar atmosphere, right? So there is a, a program called Aditya. All these are Indian names. So Aditya is a program uh, initiated by ISRO that uh, that will be a satellite which will be launched to explore a solar atmosphere. Another one is called Gaganyan. So all these words, you know, Chandra in Hindi means moon and Gagan in Hindi means sky. So Yan, Yan means, uh, you know, a satellite something. So Gagan Yan means some uh, satellite to explore the sky. So that is a part of human uh, flight, space flight program. So they, India want to put one human being in space. That's our goal. Yeah, because yeah, India haven't done that before. They haven't put in, like an Indian astronaut in. It, one Indian astronaut called Rakesh Sharma went in uh, space in 1984, but mm -hmm. that was part of the Russian program. So we haven't done it indigenously. Uh, it's a very famous recording. So he was up there and he called the Indian Prime Minister at that time. And the Prime Minister asked, uh, how does India feel from space? And his reply was, Sare jahan se achha. That's in Hindi, which means that uh, India is great. <laughs> uh, loose, loose translation, but that that means it looks wonderful from up here. And that's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Nick Rattenbury and Gaurav Sharma. Namaste. Namaste.